Our lesson is taken from the Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verse 19 through 31. Late that Sunday evening, when the disciples were together behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. And he showed them his hands and his side. So when the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus repeated, Peace be with you. And then said, As the Father sent me, so I send you. He then breathed on them, saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive any man's sins, they stand forgiven. If you pronounce them unforgiven, unforgiven they remain. One of the twelve, Thomas, that is the twin, was not with the rest of them when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. He said, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, unless I put my finger into the place where the nails were and my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later his disciples were again in the room, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, saying, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here. See my hand. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Be unbelieving no longer, but believe. Thomas said, My Lord and my God, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have found faith. Blessed are they who never saw me and yet have found faith. There were indeed many other signs that Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Those here written have been recorded in order that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that through this faith you may possess eternal life by his name. Amen. All of us are familiar with those Beatitudes which were read in your hearing last Sunday, or which were read by all of us. Those golden words which were spoken by the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in which he called forth the blessedness of God upon the meek, those who were willing to be trained by God, and uh, where he called uh, the blessing of God upon the peacemakers and all of the others. But there are some other Beatitudes that I sometimes think we have skipped over. On one occasion, Jesus looked at his disciples, and he said to them these words. He said, Blessed are your ears, for they are hearing what the, all of the patriarchs and the prophets wish that they could have heard. And he said, blessed are your eyes, for they are seeing what Moses and the prophets wished that they could have seen. He was calling attention dramatically to himself as the one whom God had sent and anointed to carry out his purpose uniquely. Indeed, God's own son, the Messiah. Now Thomas gives us the occasion of this last beatitude and so it's necessary for us to look a little bit into the life of Thomas. And were it not for the Gospel of John, 
you would not have really very much knowledge of Thomas at all. You would only have his name. But if you read carefully the Gospel of John, you will see that uh, Thomas is first brought forth and utters his first words in almost the last week of our Savior's life. It was the occasion in which Lazarus was sick unto death, and the word had been sent to Jesus that Lazarus had died, and Jesus had announced that he was going back into Judea, and uh, as a result of this, the disciples were fearful that if he went back, he would be stoned to death. And so they said to him, Master, do you go back there because the Jews sought so lately to kill you? And Jesus said that he was going. And Thomas, in chapter 11 of John, in a rather melancholy way, says, Let us also go with him that we may die. Now that utterance tells us that Thomas, whatever he was, was not afraid. He was not afraid to go back to the territory that was hostile to his master. But indeed, he was a man of courage and he was willing to go. But also, he was a person who could scarcely see much of the bright side. And indeed, there were reasons for the gloominess which he felt. And yet he could not penetrate all of the wonderful sayings that Jesus had spoken about himself, and so his heart was full of gloom. Now, when Jesus was in the upper room, on that night in which the Lord's Supper was instituted on Monday, Thursday, the night in which he was betrayed, he spoke those golden words which we will never forget. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I go, you may come also. Whether I go, ye know, in the way ye know. Well, others might know the way, and others might know where he was going. But Thomas, with his skeptical bent of mind, said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Then Jesus. Jesus spoke those words which every Christian ought to remember always. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He gave occasion for us to look to him as the way. I remember during World War II, reading a story of one of our fighter pilots who was shot down in the Pacific in the war against the Japanese. He came down in a strange area, but he fell into friendly hands. He had to go through dense jungle for a long way. The guide who was friendly to the American forces was hacking his way through what looked like a meaningless tangle of green and jungle and brush. And suddenly the airman became alarmed and he said to the guide, Where is the trail? Where are you going? Where is the way? And the guide, the native 
pointed to himself and in broken English he said, I am the way, follow me. Well, this is what Jesus bids us to do, to cling tightly to him when all of the systems of this earth are in a state of decomposition and decay. When governments are crumbling around us, when war and bloodshed are everywhere, not to be foolish enough to place hope in some materialistic utopian dream which man will work for himself. The earliest Christians were those marvelously powerful people who spoke out words that caused others to look beyond this world and to look toward Jesus Christ as the only hope of the world. Those of us who had the marvelous privilege of being in Lausanne this summer in Switzerland got to hear that most quotable of all British writers, Mr. Malcolm Muggridge. Malcolm Muggridge was an editor of the Manchester Guardian. Malcolm Muggridge had lived in India. He had lived in the Soviet Union. He had been a spy for the British government in World War II. But he achieved world fame as the editor of Punch magazine. And Malcolm Muggridge spoke to the Congress on evangelism. Malcolm Muggridge has a way with words that few people ever get in the English language. He reminded us all that right there in the city of Lausanne itself, that there once lived an Englishman by the name of Edward Gibbon, who wrote The Decline and the Fall of the Roman Empire. Malcolm Muggridge said that while Gibbon was writing his majestic work, that he could not hear the fire of the guns across the border in France where the revolution had already started and where there had set in decay in that place. And then Malcolm Muggridge began to say how he himself, had turned to look to Jesus Christ for hope. And he quoted something that I think all of us can appreciate. He says, a scene that has stayed in my memory bears on the point, that is the point, that there is no hope in this world system. I was in New York in a television studio with Mother Teresa for one of those morning interviews which help Americans to munch their breakfast cereal and swallow their coffee. It was a Today program. It was the first time she had ever been in America in a television studio, so she was unprepared for the constant interruption for commercials. This particular morning, as it happened, the commercials all had to do with different sorts of packaged food, commended to the viewers as being non-fattening and non-nourishing. Mother Teresa, from Calcutta in India, whose own constant preoccupation is, of course, to find the wherewithal to nourish the starving and to put some flesh on human skeletons, was taken back for a little while by the irony of the situation. 
But finally, when she had collected her wits, she remarked in a quiet but perfectly audible voice, I see that Christ is needed in television studios. A total silence descended on the studio, and I fully expected the lights to go on and the floor manager to be struck dumb, for a word of truth had been spoken in one of the mills of fantasy where the great 20th century myth of happiness successfully pursued its fabrication, an unprecedented occurrence, he said. Mother Teresa was saying words of truth. Christ is indeed needed to, in television to point us behind the, beyond the waste of what we have and wherewith we bring down our world upon ourselves. So Thomas asked Jesus, how do we know the way? And Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way, in the same words he says to us in this day of trouble in which we live, that he is still the way. And then that Easter Sunday that he missed it all. And when the Lord himself had appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven devils had been cast, who had gone in the gloomy darkness to the tomb early to bear away his pathetic broken body that she had seen nailed to a cross, Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene. Jesus had given her words to take to Peter and John. Jesus had appeared to Peter himself. And as Dr. Graham so eloquently preached last Sunday, he appeared to two on that road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his unnamed companion. And Jesus walked behind them. They asked him that, he asked them that question, what is this that you're talking about while you walk and are so sad? And they said to Jesus, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Can you imagine asking that question of Jesus Christ? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know what happened of all the people in Jerusalem? One nailed on that cross knew. And then later how he revealed himself to them in the breaking of the bread. Then how later on that evening he revealed himself again. I don't know where Thomas was, but he missed his appointed place of worship. And sometimes we miss a great blessing when we do not go, even if unwillingly so, to a place of worship. Every time of the... It gets this time of the year, I think, of John Wesley and his conversion. How he had gone unwillingly, he says, that night into the chapel on Aldersgate Street and heard one reading from Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans of how Christ makes one free and how John Wesley was converted. Or take this man, John Newton, whose hymn we sung a while ago, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds in a Believer's Ear. That man who pulled into Charleston, South Carolina, with slaves, 
that man who himself was a slave of, of, of slaves, this John Newton, cried out for mercy to God and found faith in Jesus Christ. He influenced one of the greatest of English poets, William Cowper. And they together wrote many of the most wonderful hymns in our hymn book. Do you see what Jesus is saying when he utters that beatitude? He, come, he heard Thomas. I think that the disciples must have met Thomas and they told him, Thomas, he is alive. And Thomas was infuriated. Number one, he was jealous that they had had a revelation which he had not had. He was stricken with guilt. And so Thomas, Thomas began to say to them in the most dogmatic language, don't mock me. Don't talk to me about that. I loved him every bit as much as you do. But I was there at Golgotha. I saw him die. Don't tell me that he's risen from the dead. I will never believe it unless I can take my finger and put it into the nail print in his hand. Unless I can thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. But there was one listening to Thomas when he said that. Always know that Jesus is the silent listener to every conversation that we have. And Jesus was listening when Thomas said those words. And so that next week, eight days later, they were again in the upper room, terribly frightened and unable to take into their minds all that had happened. Gradually, having dawned upon them the fact that the one with whom they had walked was God himself in human flesh. And why he should suffered such a death of ignominy was beyond them. Thomas was with them this time. Thomas was terribly punished for his unbelief. But he was greatly rewarded when he did believe, because Thomas was with them now and the doors were bolted for fear of the Jews, probably in that same upper room where the Lord's Supper had been held. And Jesus suddenly comes into their midst. He made a promise where two or three are gathered together in my name. There will I be also. It means he's here today. And he came into the room. Thomas never dreamed that he heard those words. And all of a sudden, Thomas sees him. And Jesus speaks those words to him. He speaks those words to Thomas. In which he says, Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hand. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Well, Thomas makes up for all of his stubborn, mulish pride. For here, he makes the greatest confession of faith that you ever find in the record of the gospel. 
Thomas says to the risen Lord Jesus, my, that's personal, my Lord and my God. Do you see what's happened to Thomas? How he has changed. It's a remarkable thing that's happened to him. And the fact that he knows that Christ is really alive. Now John had begun his record of the gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now John tells us, toward the end of this 20th chapter, that he had selected signs. There are many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But he tells us the whole purpose of his record of the gospel. And it is this. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Thomas realized that those nail prints and the thrust of that lance into his side were inflicted because of his sins. Thomas's sins were laid on Jesus on that tree. And God had brought Jesus back from the dead. And Jesus was conqueror over death in his own right. And here, he brings us this wonderful beatitude. I thought a moment ago about that song we used to sing it over in Scotland. We ought to sing more children's hymns, I suppose. I think when I read that sweet story of old, when Jesus was here among men, how he called little children as lambs to his fold, I should like to have been with them then. I wish that his hands had been placed on my head and his arms had been thrown around me and that I might have seen his kind look when he said, Let the little ones come unto me. Yet still to his footstool in prayer I may go. And know that I share in his love. And if I now earnestly serve him below, I shall see him and serve him above. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That he looked all the way without any straining of his vision as I had to do. That he looked all the way down through the centuries to a little chapel called Gaither Chapel at Montfried Anderson College where a group of Christians meet and worship. And he looked at them and he put a blessing on them. A blessing even though they had not seen him or heard him visibly. But they knew and believed by faith and that by knowing and believing 
They have life through his name. Let us stand in prayer. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in what Thou hast done for us because Thou hast made it possible for us to assemble here and to worship Thee, to read our Bibles and to learn about Jesus Christ and to fellowship with others who can whet our appetites for spiritual things. We pray that the Holy Spirit will minister to our minds and hearts and that we might know that blessedness of which we have read this day, and that we, by eyes of faith and by ears of faith, might hear and see the face of Jesus and love and serve him, and to know that the marks which guide us to him are those nail prints in his hands, that wound print in his side, by which we have the assurance that our sins, which are many, are all washed away our sins, not in part but the whole, but they are nailed to his cross, and we bear them no more, and we can say, praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. For anyone who has never opened the door of his heart and let Jesus come in, will you grant that that person this day may open the door of his or her heart to that one who stands and knocks and ask him to come in and rule and reign. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you all now and forevermore.